Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson episode... I don't remember the number. I don't have it in front of me, so everybody, you'll just have to forgive me. Uh, a couple... Uh, so we do have a guest. We do not have any co-hosts today, so it's just me and the guest, and we will introduce him in a moment. But before we do, uh, I just wanted to say a couple of quick announcements, uh, the most important of which is... Alpha Omega Con is happening on September 19th in La Mirada. Uh, it'll be from 10 to 6, uh, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. I will have a booth there so you can come and see me, and then I will also be hosting a panel there. Uh, this is their second year doing it. I'm, I had a great time the first time. And uh, basically, for those that don't know, it is like a very low-level Comic-Con for Christians and... But it's not necessarily just celebrating Christian art, which is something that very seldom deserves to be celebrated. Uh, it is instead uh, for Christians who love comic books, they love movies, they love TV, and they love being nerds. So that will be September 19th, which is a Saturday in La Mirada. So you go, if you go to alphaomegacon.com, that will tell you all, all the information that you need. So if you are in the uh, Southern California area, I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you can come and say hi to me, uh, but also I know a lot of other people, including some, some uh, friends of the show, uh, will also be there. I believe uh, Doug Jones will be there, and he's. Uh, if you feel like getting a hug from a guy who feels like a skeleton, uh, go see Doug Jones. So um, I think that is, as far as announcements, I think that's about it. Um, so yeah, I think we'll just go ahead and, and get into the episode. So listeners, <laughs> so you guys know that I'm a big fan of the Riddler. I've written articles about the character. Uh, I have gone on other podcasts talking about how nerdy I am about the character. And uh, it is that my love for that character that uh, took me to a panel at this year's Comic-Con uh, about, uh, well, featuring a guy named, uh, Wally Wingert, who did the voice of the Riddler in the, in the Arkham games. And I was excited to hear him talk about that. And, and I'm always fascinated by voice acting in general. So, so I went to that and, uh, and, uh, emailed him afterwards and he is on the show now. So ladies and gentlemen, I don't know why I say it like that. Nobody's going to applaud. Uh, maybe I will on principle. Uh, he is here now. Wally Wingert. Wally, how you doing? Yeah. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> how are you? I'm, I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. Um, voice is a little scratchy. I've had a long <clears throat> week. I had three sessions today, one including the Riddler. Oh, really? Which was uh, the second session of the day. That's exciting. Which wasn't the one that killed my voice. The one that killed my voice was actually doing a Marvel villain later in the afternoon and a, um, Marvel hero later in the afternoon man, oh for man. a Lego project. So it was like, oh boy, okay. But can you uh, say who the villain was? Uh, Crimson Dynamo. Okay, all right. And, I, uh, I, is that an Iron Man villain? Uh, it is. Yeah. Okay. It's the only uh, only in voiceover would you be able to play a DC villain in the morning, have lunch, and then come back and play a Marvel villain and a Marvel hero in the afternoon. So it's pretty great. But unfortunately, there's a lot of yelling and screaming and yeah. In uh, uh, video games, so <laughs> this is what I get. So, well, uh, well, when we're done here tonight, I'm going to go uh, to Jersey Mike's and have a sandwich, and then just not say anything for about 14, 15 hours until my session tomorrow, which I'm praying I will have the voice for. It's I'm I'm fascinated by voice acting in general. I I always have been ever since I was a kid. Uh, over on my other podcast, Battleship Pretension, we've had like Townsend Coleman and Maurice LaMarche and. Mm -hmm. Uh, all great guys. Yeah, yeah. I assume you all know each other. Oh, maybe, yeah. maybe that's not a great assumption, but uh, no, no. It's a very small, small click. Yeah, that is that is what I've heard. Is that between like between the like the fifteen big ones, you can basically get any part you need. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and of course, Maurice LaMarche in the Arkham games in Arkham City played Mr. Freeze. Right. And uh, yeah, it's just a, it's such a, a fascinating little world. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is listen to commentary on like Futurama um, and yeah. hear Maurice and Billy West and occasionally some some of the other actors and John DiMaggio and just hear them tell stories about, you know, their their profession, because as I'm sure you can attest, there are people who seem to think it's easy. Oh, yeah. Um, TV actors in particular. <laughs> That's yeah. right. On camera that actors think it's a, it's a really <laughs> easy a big thing. part of the panel. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, uh, oh, they actors. think it's do I show up in your pajamas and have fun time. <laughs> and of course, you say that uh, you are currently in your pajamas. Yes, yes. Uh, but I'm not working. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, oh, oh, you, you'll now, see. Now, don't just get me wrong. There's nothing is. wrong about showing up with your pajamas at a voiceover session, but you sure. got to be able to deliver. And it is a lot of hard work and probably uh, pound for pound. It's a lot more. It's a lot more difficult than actually being on TV. Than, than really? being a TV actor. That's interesting. Yeah, because you you just have to be good for a couple of minutes, and then you're basically sitting in your trailer for a long time. I've done both, and I yeah. don't prefer on camera at all. That's interesting. Uh, it's just not the same kind of thing. It's not oh. that hard of work. You just have to not bump into the furniture and know your lines and whatever, whatever. <laughs> you know, unless you're on a sitcom, and then you're actually doing a full, you know, three, four hours where you're doing basically a play for the audience. But... Yeah, it's not uh, the one camera shoots, you know, where you just have to kind of mm -hmm. show up and you do maybe two, three scenes a day and then you go home and then you, but basically you're in your trailer all day and it's a 14 hour day and it's just no fun, you know, so people kind of get re relaxed when they do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. When you show up to voiceover, you have to be on your feet for, for a good, maybe sometimes four hours and it's, it's tough work. So it reminds me, so I mentioned that uh, we've had Doug Jones on the show who, while you know is, is he's always an on-camera actor he is often acting under heavy makeup and and his voice is seldom used although sometimes lately he's been playing more traditional uh, on-screen parts but he's a, a like a body actor a lot mm -hmm. of the time he did yeah. he was uh abe sapien and hellboy and and he was in pan's labyrinth and you know there there's a guy who there are people who will often say like oh he's not like a real actor because oh. he's only using his body. Oh, that's that's garbage. Yeah, that's rubbish. And it's, yeah, you know, and I was recently. Of course he is. They always say that about voice actors too. Sure. It's... Yeah. Well, no, no. I mean, a real actor. Yeah. Well, some of the best actors I know are in voiceover oh, yeah. because they can, you know, bing bang boom boom, yeah. but like a switch, like a panel yeah. switches, and they can t turn all these characters on. You know, TV TV actors mostly can't do that. A lot of TV actors today are just cast for their looks. They can't really even act anyway. So, if you're considering <laughs> them to be real actors and voiceover actors who really actually are talented, like Seth MacFarlane, one of the most talented guys I know. Well, then we have a very different uh, definition of what an actor is. Yeah, what, what people usually mean when is actors they've heard of, right? Um, you know, and it's celebrities. Same, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people that, are confusing celebrities with actors. Yeah, or actors with problem. movie stars yeah. or actors with yeah TV stars. And uh, and when I think of some of my favorite vocal performances, like by by I would say name actors, they're always actors. I feel like they're actors that were definitely cast. For a specific purpose, uh, like because they would be right for the role. Like Craig T. Nelson is not a big celebrity, certainly not uh, in 2004. But he was when great he uh, in The Incredibles. Uh, and Mr. As Mr. Yeah. Incredible, he was amazing. Yeah. You know, I felt like and that, same, he was right. Same for with the John part. Goodman and Billy Crystal. Yeah, and yeah. like, and those are names, and you know, it's like, oh, we need. But a, they fit the part. They fit the part. Yeah. I feel like that's something that maybe not so much anymore, but I feel like Pixar really 
really locked into that. Uh, you know, yeah, they're, they're the right a lot of the, not just Pixar, but a lot of the studios are just throwing in celebrities whether yeah. they fit or not. Yeah. I mean, I love Mike Myers. I love Cameron Diaz. I love Eddie Murphy, but really anybody can do those characters. <laughs> There's nobody who can't do a oh. Scottish accent. Cameron Diaz really brings nothing to it. That's any, like a Tara Strong yeah. couldn't do. Yeah. John Lithgow, of course, he has a very distinct voice. Yeah, right, and he exactly. Was great for that. Role. He was great for the, for yeah. the Prince. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it reminds me, um, to go back to the uh, the idea of like physical acting or voice acting and like just people thinking it's easy. I'm looking right now. Uh, listeners, it's a shame this is not a video podcast, but we'll actually get to that in a moment. Uh, I'm surrounded by statues and toys and costumes and props and posters, and it's amazing. Uh, from uh, the Hollywood of yesteryear, I'm looking at the Phantom of the Opera right now. I'm looking at, I believe... London After Midnight, Lon Chaney. Yes, um, Man of the Beaver Hat. Very exciting. Uh, but I'm also looking at the Freddy Krueger uh, glove. And there's a wonderful documentary on Netflix called Never Sleep Again, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a four-hour documentary about the, oh, the, wow. the, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films. And they talk about in the second film, they they didn't want to pay uh, Robert England like all of they didn't want to pay him the money and they just thought like well it's just makeup anyway yeah so they cast some just some stunt guy and of course stunt guys had they have a tremendous physicality sure but they're not necessarily acting yeah. at least not in not in that in way. in the traditional sense yes. but they they are essentially oh sure like in, they have in, to act yeah. like they're dying or yeah. getting oh, shot yeah. like that yeah. is absolutely acting sure. but as far as like crafting a character the way a right. robert england would yeah, yeah. it's not necessarily the same see already like i just said they're not really acting obviously right, they're right. doing tremendously yeah, difficult yeah. things but uh we saw they show footage of that actor who has not learned the character and not made him his own and it is just like a world of difference yeah. uh, physically. Like you realize just how much you don't realize how hard it is and how effective voice acting or body acting can be until you see somebody who's not that great at it. Right. Exactly. Um, I know that you've done voices for various, uh, well, certainly video games, but also some computer games. Uh, I believe you did some voices for my, my uh, much beloved, uh, the remakes of the two monkey Island, f- uh, games. Oh, monkey Island. Yeah. 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 And it reminds me of <laughs> Herman Toothrot. You were Herman Toothrot? Yeah, that's actually oh. one of the voices I can still do today. Oh, that's marvelous. <laughs> with, my, with my voice being what it is. Yeah, it's... And there is... So I, I loved computer games by LucasArts and Sierra um, when I was growing up. And there was a game that I particularly liked called Gabriel Knight. And they did a 20th anniversary of that with with like some solid voice actors. Um, but I... I did know that they didn't quite have the budget for the remake. And so I think they cast people that were, that definitely had some experience, but not necessarily as much as the first time. Right. Around. Right. Yeah. Like in the first one, you had somebody like a Mark Hamill oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Tim Curry, like certainly name actors, sure, sure. but have very distinct voices. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of those things. I'm like, Oh boy, I wish, I wish Kickstarter had helped them with that remake. just a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so, uh, okay, well, this has been a fun introduction to, to you. We haven't done any interview questions yet. Oh, that's right. That's fun chatting. So, um, so where are you from originally? Originally from South Dakota. South Dakota. Yes. All right. I lived in Sioux Falls, South Dakota until uh, after second grade, moved to Aberdeen, South Dakota, which was about 200 miles north uh, for about nine years and then moved back to Sioux Falls between my junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then moved out here in the summer of, or in the winter, uh, January, 1987. 
Okay. And when you, well, okay. Uh, did you move out here to pursue voice acting? I or, did. Okay. Yeah. Um, not, not voice acting, acting specifically, but just acting, just in, acting general. in general. Okay. Yeah. Uh, at what age were you, you know, how old are you when you decided, Hey, you know what? I, I'm going to try acting and I, I really like it. Five. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. It was, I I'm blame, looking around the room and you know what? I believe you. I blame Eddie Munster. <laughs> I blame Eddie Munster. I was watching the Munsters as a kid and I thought, Oh, that little kid, he's, he's got it. He's got it made. He gets to put on cool makeup and a cool costume and he gets to act with Frankenstein and Dracula and this yeah. cool woman. And, uh, he obviously, you know, is doing this because it's fun and he gets to be on TV. Yeah. And when somebody said, well, no, little Wally, this kid is actually getting money to do that. He's actually getting paid. It's his job. I'm oh, like, boy. what? Yeah. You don't just do it because it's fun? Oh, no, this is his job. This is how he makes money. I'm like, well, sign me up. So ever since then, I was into costumes and impressions and doing makeups and doing things. And there, there, you know, there's a time when I was really, really interested in being a Lon Chaney man of a thousand faces where I yeah. would change my appearance every, you know, basically being an actor. Yeah. One of the greatest actors of all time was Lon Chaney because he mm -hmm. was never anything twice. No. He was always coming up with some crazy character and he really embodied somebody completely different every time you saw him. And he did pretty much, he did all his own makeup, I believe, right? He did. Yeah. He's the guy that basically started the makeup industry because yeah. back in those days in the silent film era, you were getting a lot of stage actors and vaudevillians who yeah. basically, because they were on a budget, they couldn't tour around with a makeup person. Mm -hmm. So they all had their makeup kits and they'd go in the back room. Well, Chaney was particularly adept at this. I could talk about Lon Chaney for years. Hmm. He was particularly adept at this craft because he had been on the road so much and sometimes in their little, uh, you know, one man show in a twofold flat, you know, yeah, like yeah. I say, you know, <laughs> so this was like three or four actors. Then they would do, uh, uh, just basically these little tours. They'd hop mm -hmm. on the train and they go from town to town with their, their luggage, their, their steam trunks full of stuff. And then during the show, Chaney would have to change into like four or five different characters in this show. And he'd pop on a beard quick and go be an old man. Then he'd go backstage, rip it off, and then he'd yeah. come out as a woman. And then the next thing he'd come out as, you know, a pirate. And the next thing, so he was really adept at this. So when film started in the, you know, like nineteen twelve, you know, right, right around then, right, uh, you could just go down to Universal Studios here every morning at eight o'clock. Some guy would come out on a dock and say, "Okay, here's what we need today. We need uh, twelve pirates. We need uh, three uh, ballerinas. We need all this." Well. Um, Cheney would show up with his makeup kit promptly at every, you know every morning, yeah. and he'd listen to what they needed. And they said, "We you know we really want a pirate with like a scar and a an eye patch." So he'd sneak off into the corner and with his little makeup kit, put a scar on, and show up. Okay, you, you and you and you and you. Thanks everybody. See you tomorrow. I love uh, those old Hollywood stories where yeah, it just, of course it's. It's difficult in its own way, but compared to the impenetrable bureaucracy of Hollywood oh, now, like yeah. it's, you know, the idea of like, hey, you, you want to be in pictures? Like sure. that's, it yeah, doesn't happen anymore. Pictures, yeah. yeah. So he, that's what he would do. And he was really adept at that. And he just started to work his way up uh, as all these different characters because it was such a visual medium back then because there was no audio. Mm -hmm. It was silent. And uh, he just became, then he started... Um, Getting more roles, more roles. I think his really, his really, his breakout role was called the Miracle Man, which was about this huckster that would go around and mm -hmm. do these miracles. And he, Cheney, was his partner. And there would be a guy who was who was handicapped, 
uh, and, and gnarled and all kinds of oh, stuff yeah, in, the, yeah. in the audience. And this guy would wave his hand over him and Chaney with his physicality would start, his limbs would start to straighten out and he would, yeah, his legs would unbend and he'd start to stand up. And oh, yeah, could, yeah. And it was brilliant to watch and people would go, oh, it's a miracle, it's a miracle. And yeah. Chaney was, you know, would cry and he like, I can't believe I'm not. And they would go to town to town and do this all the time, you know, yeah. for money. And that was really the breakout role. Like, oh, this this guy, he, he became, he was, he was handicapped and he, he, I think the term was crippled back then. Mm -hmm. He was this crippled guy and then he got up and walked and this guy's a miracle. And, uh, so mm -hmm. it spread from town to town. So it was, people were like, wow, this guy's really amazing and what he can do. And then he would start showing up as, as uh, Fagan and Oliver Twist and he'd yeah. be all doing all these other roles. It was really funny because Jackie Coogan, not Cooper, but Jackie right. Coogan, who turned into Uncle Fester on The Addams Family, was, uh, I think he was Oliver Twist in that silent hmm. film. Uh, which they have the Coogan laws now, the Coogan account for, okay, kid, yeah. for child actors because of him, because his folks spent all of his money. <laughs> so he said in, in his later years, they said, well, do you remember working with Lon Chaney? And they said, well, I was initially kind of frightened by him because he would come in in makeup every day because right. he would do his makeup and then come in. And he said, and I remember the thing I remember most about Mr. Chaney was when I'd be close to him doing a scene the smell of the crepe hair and the and the spirit gum yeah. and all and the grease paint and everything that he had on and he said he, he never would forget that and it's yeah. like wow what a can you imagine just to put a little jack in the back of his head with a, and <laughs> here download your download your memories into me i want to yeah. see it too and pretty pretty great so uh but yeah he started the makeup industry he uh when he died other people you know they were still making movies, but they sound had just come in in 1930, when he had when he had passed away. He did one sound film called The Unholy Three, which is a remake of a silent film. Hmm. And uh, they said, "Well, now what are we going to do? We have nobody who can do those crazy, you know, nutty characters like that. And we we want to do all kinds of other books that we have the rights to Frankenstein and Dracula and all this no. other stuff. So what do we do now? So they hired a guy named Jack, Jack Pierce, Pierce yeah. yeah, who was a makeup artist and could replicate a lot of that stuff. But then, you know, foam latex started and some of the yeah. newer makeup techniques started, you know, a couple, 10, 15 years later. And Jack just did not want to move with the times. And he basically started getting edged out. Yeah, I've, uh, my interest in early universal horror uh, is, uh, well, you know, just as integral as like a, a James Whale or, or even any sure. of the actors is Jack Pierce. Yeah. Uh, because if there's a character that you remember, sure, you will remember the actor underneath. They, they're doing great job, a uh, great job. Boris Karloff, Bela Lugosi and all that. But, uh, but Jack Pierce is probably why you remember them the way you remember them. Oh, sure. And it was just the, uh, the only reason Frankenstein has a flat head is yeah. because of Jack Pierce. Yeah. Because Jack Pierce said, if a guy is going to shave off the top of a cadaver's head, skull and put a brain in he's not going to take the time to put the skull back on and have a round head he's just going to stretch the skin and hair back over and stitch it down yeah. and shock him and then see if he comes to life and i thought wow is that brilliant and that's the reason frankenstein herman munster and everybody else has the flat head because of of him uh, having that vision of like, well, this is what would really happen if this guy was really trying to make a reanimate a man. So it's fabulous. And it became, of course, Universal kept the trademark on it. So if yeah. you wanted to do anything with a flathead Frankenstein, you had to get their permission first. But, you know, God bless Jack Pierce for coming up with all those ideas. And yeah. apparently he, he liked to torture the actors somewhat and rip the makeup off. And it was kind of painful. But <laughs> Boris Karloff was always very uh, gentlemanly about it. Now, uh, 
one thing that, that uh, and, and by the way, you should feel under no obligation or pressure to do any voices on this show. Oh, I'll do the ones I can. With, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm a limited, I think, as Pat Frehley used to say when he had laryngitis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm missing my, my ducks and rabbits today. <laughs> but other than that, I got everything else. So I uh, might be shy of a few ducks and rabbits, but... What I was going to ask is, uh, what were the first impressions that you did? Like, you know, you started doing them when you were a kid. What were the first oh, ones you did? Oh, there was Abbott and Costello when okay. I was a kid. There was, uh, I used to dress up in costumes when I was a kid, but couldn't really, I didn't really focus in on the voices, but I just wanted to dress up a, no. as them on Halloween. Uh, but I started really focusing in on voices when Sesame Street came on the air mm. when I was about in third grade. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, watching the show and they, they there's these really funny puppets on tv and they're really they do this funny stuff and you know of course everybody in third grade that's ah, a baby show what are you doing that so so i learned how to do ernie and yeah. bert and oh, uh, kermit the frog and grover <laughs> and all the things and i would do these with my friend and we had a little club he and i would get you know get into puppets and i uh would buy these puppets at through the sears catalog and they'd show up and we'd do little puppet shows and stuff mm-hmm. so it was, it was uh pretty fun but the muppet voices were some of the some of the earliest voices yeah and strangely enough my first job on family guy was doing the voice of bert on <laughs> uh, on a bit on the show so i thought well it, uh, it all pays off you know well let's see if i had to guess i would say it was something that uh destroyed the innocence of Bert and Ernie, something like that? Oh, uh, sure, it? sure did. Yeah, sure did. It's called Sesame Street Blue. There it is. And, uh, yes. yeah, it was yes. a parody of, it was a mashup of Sesame Street and NYPD Blue. Yeah. And uh, it was pretty funny. But it was my first job, and I m- made friends with Seth MacFarlane. And awesome. We, we laughed about a couple of things that he and I found funny, and he loved the old National Lampoon, That's Not Funny, That Sick album. Yeah. So we started doing voices from that and started remembering some of those things. And I, I did my Mr. Rogers for him, and he's like, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> So we put Mr. Rogers actually on the show. So Oh yeah, I have to assume that like when you're the creator of an animated show, you just okay, what talent do I have? I can work with that. Yeah, can, yeah, it, yeah. Like SNL, I would assume. Yeah. Like what impressions do you do? Well, the first the first Mr. Rogers appearance on there was Mr. Rogers uh staring at a girl through her window with some binoculars and he's just said something like, "Hello, neighbor." <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. And the other one was actually him in the playhouse mm-hmm. or in the uh neighborhood. And uh, Stewie comes in with a, a laser gun and destroys the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really funny. Um, unfortunately, when that episode was set to air, like that week, there was some sort of horrible school shooting or something. Oh, so boy. they cut that part out when yeah. they aired it. But in reruns now, you, you can see it. Yeah. But it's it's sure is funny. But it's all a Stewie dream, you know, where he's yeah, yeah. imagining destroying Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. So it's uh, the, the, the crazy, insane mind of Seth MacFarlane. One of my favorite total tangent, I apologize. Everybody, uh, go to YouTube, type in uh, Mr. Rogers, and I think maybe type in Congress or something like that. There is this, there's this wonderful bit of footage from, I think, from the 60s or 70s, I don't quite recall, um, in which uh, there was a lot of talk about pulling funding from PBS. Oh, they're, they're, that comes up every yeah, year. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, testified. I don't know what you'd call it, but like, you know, where... He's not like under oath or anything, right, but it's right. just a, there's like a it's just an advocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's talking with this Senator who's, who's completely not on board with him at all. Right. Uh, and he, obviously, this guy obviously wants to cut as much out of PBS as he can. Mr. Rogers by being Mr. Rogers, he's not talking down to the guy. He's merely being human, hu- you know, human like he was. He completely turns this guy around Whoa. in like three minutes. It's in, to the point that the guy is just like, he's completely on board. 
I think it ends with him saying like, all right, Mr. Rogers, you got your funding. Like he literally wow. like, like the whole subcommittee was like, it was like a moot point at that, yeah, at yeah. that moment. It was, it's amazing. He was, he was amazing. Yeah. Mr. Rogers, he was something else. Um, anyway, sorry about that. Uh, no, that's, that's fascinating. So, uh, so did you do, you know, theater and stuff? Uh, I did, yeah. Well, in up? South Dakota, there was really only a few ways to get your creative uh, yeah. juices flowing. One was plays in community theater, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which I did, uh, when I was living in, uh, Aberdeen in both Sioux Falls, uh, did a fair amount of plays and then radio mm-hmm. being a radio DJ and being able to go oh, yeah. in there. And as a radio DJ, I do a bunch of different voices and characters and stuff as part of the show. Mm-hmm. So it all uh, seemed to work pretty well. And uh, I had done so many voices for my radio shows and I had done a lot of parody songs for the Dr. Demento show that when I got out here and I realized how uncreative and how unimaginative the, un- the on-camera world was hmm. with where basically you walk into an audition and they've already made up their mind before they've even heard you read. Yeah. And I'm like, you haven't even seen my character yet or my acting, but you've already made up your mind. I'm, I'm like, this is really not for me. So, uh, but some a friend of mine had worked at a voiceover agency one summer as a kid uh, because the head of the agency was his neighbor and said, yeah, hmm. you can have uh, Hal come in and, you know, shuffle some papers around for the summer. And he knew uh, this guy named uh, Charles Stern. Charles Stern, at the point that I got in, was just on his way out the door to retirement. Mm-hmm. But I got in just under the wire, uh, made a tape, and his uh, assistant, uh, Christine Wallace, uh, decided to start her own agency from that. And she said, well, uh, Charlie's going to uh, retire, but I'm thinking of starting my own agency. She took me to lunch, and I said, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. You know, let I'll go with you. So I did, and I was with her for a while. And then I started booking more jobs and more jobs, and I needed more different varied types of copy. She was getting some animation, some commercials, but I wanted promos, I wanted trailers, I wanted narrations, I wanted all this different stuff. So um, I sent some demos out upon the urging of another voiceover actor that I had read with um, and got a, a different agent, <clears throat> excuse me, who had a lot more, um, uh, many more agents in the office there, it was a bigger agency and had a lot more access to different mm-hmm. pieces of copy. And then that uh, kind of started me going. So it's pretty great. So you've been going for, what, 25 years, 30 years? No, I think I started full-time in voiceover in about 1997 or 8. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, it's been 15 years, maybe? Okay. Yeah. Um, Almost 20, I guess, if in, in 2018, it would be oh, 20 yeah, I guess years. So, so what... Uh, of all the of all the uh, characters you played, of all the jobs that you've had, are there any that you specifically are proud of, or even maybe even let's let's put the the proud of aside that you just enjoy doing the most? Uh, pretty much all of them. Okay. Yeah, they're all they're all great. Uh, one guy interviewed me via email the other day and said, mm-hmm. "What's your you know what's your favorite uh, job?" And I said, "It's a it's a tie." Between all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but The Tonight Show was right up there. Mm-hmm. When I was the announcer for The Tonight Show, only the seventh full-time Tonight Show announcer in history. Mm. Uh, from, uh, I think it was March of 2010 to February of 2014. Then I was on The Jay Leno Show for, for nine months before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, of course, The Riddler, John Arbuckle in The Garfield Show. Yeah, um, yeah a lot of those are just, uh, that's my favorite stuff. And that's interesting is because you know, being an announcer isn't even necessarily like that. That's not necessarily the same as being a voice actor. Cause I know a lot of people that, Oh, it's voice acting. acting. What was that? It's acting. 
Is it? Oh, really? You have to you have to sound extremely happy about all the <laughs> about people everything. that you're talking about. <laughs> and and I, I'll tell you honestly, I won't give names, but some of those people that I had to mention their names at the beginning of the show, yeah. I was physically nauseous. Oh, boy. Because I just know, knew what their history was and some of the things that they had done yeah. and what they represented. And I physically was like, I don't know how I'm going to say this person's yeah. name. Without. Some of the toughest acting you've ever had to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's acting. And you have to basically just have a big smile on your face and sound like, hey, this is who we have today and isn't this great? And meanwhile, inside, I'm thinking, oh, I, I so don't want to promote this person in any way, shape, or form. Uh, but you have to you have to do it. So it's it's all acting. It's yeah. all, yeah. Is it is it tougher in general? Because in that instance... I mean, you're it's just, it's almost you're you're selling something. You know, yeah, you're advertising. They, sure. Do you find commercial stuff to be harder to do? Because, I mean, all acting is you're selling the character. You're selling that the character is is, is feeling something or mm-hmm. thinking something. But at the same time, it, it's it's rooted in the character as opposed to like advertisements. It's it can be as rooted in the character as it can be. But we seriously, we need you to get this to sell this product. Like, do you find that to be a harder? A harder thing to well do. you wouldn't get cast if they didn't feel that your character that you gave them in the audition okay. wasn't selling it okay um, so that that part's already done okay that that part is comes through in the audition okay um, but yeah sometimes uh, selling it is underselling it mm-hmm. sometimes they don't want it hey here's what you got to do today you got to get this boy this is sure good yeah so I mean look at listen to Sam Elliott doing um, you know, Dodge uh, trucks. Oh yeah, yeah. He's just talking like this. It's barely above a whisper, yeah. but it sure is impactful. You know, and then it was like, wow, this guy. And he he undersells it so well that it kind of sticks out from everything else that's on television. You pay attention to it. Well, and it's and as first off, I'd say it's it'd be a lot of fun to hear Sam Elliott try to be energetic. Uh, he can be. He can be angry. He can do angry really well. Oh yeah. I'm not saying he's a limited actor, but it's just like he was very much cast to be. Okay, we just need you to be Sam Elliott. Thank yep. you. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, what's interesting to me is that, like, sometimes, maybe even often, based on the advertising campaign, it's like, all right, this is how we want people to see our product. It's it's very much a branding kind of thing. Like, we want people to associate this truck with a very manly kind of thing. Sure. So, let's just get somebody who maybe is not, like, the best ad man, but he certainly, there's a certain emotional connection to that to his voice and the kinds of parts he plays well the thing that comes up in copy all the time now is non-announcery okay non-announcery yeah they don't want people to sound like this anymore they want Mm -hmm. it to just sound like we're talking right now it's like hey you know what there's some really good crackers that i want to tell you about (laughs) and they're just delicious and they're buttery and they're unlike anything you've ever had before so you know what try uh b and g crackers and you're you're gonna thank me yeah exactly go for some crackers right and it's all there you go (laughs) and it's all about that guy next door thing now which is what they really really like and there's i can't tell you how many pieces of copy you get that say, mm-hmm. say non-announcery, which means you've got to throw out all of the affectations that you have yeah. with the perfect diction and the perfect breathing and the perfect you know form of whatever that you would use on the Tonight Show to introduce the show. Yeah, and you've got to just sloppy it up, and you just got to kind of talk barely above this, and sometimes the words are kind of slur together, and that's okay because wow. that's the way the guy next door would talk. But that's what they want. They and and this is so overused. Yeah, we want a guy that sounds like somebody you'd sit down to have a beer with, telling oh, yeah. you about this great product. <laughs> it's like, okay, if I hear this one more time, I'm gonna, my head's going to explode. Yeah. <laughs> but they, they use it all the time, and that's basically what they want, is they want you to hear it coming from a friend as opposed to somebody who's yeah. talking at you. 
not talking to you. I wonder when that started to change. I mean, I guess you'd, you'd be the one to ask. Like, at what point, roughly, did it start to switch from uh, authoritative voice, like somebody with confidence who knows that, hey, this is a good product, absolutely, yeah. to just some guy telling you, hey, this isn't bad. Yeah. Well, there's a, I know this, this, this term isn't politically correct anymore, but I'm going to use it because oh I'm going to quote it because this is exactly what he said. I used to work at a radio station called The Wave, and the afternoon guy was one of the old school guys. Okay. His name was Don Burns, and he had a really deep voice, and it was smooth like honey. And I was walking, hey, Don, how you doing? Good to see you. What's going on? How are you? And I was all happy and chipper. And I said, hey, how's work going? He's like, oh. Guys like me can't get jobs anymore because all the faggy voice guys like you are getting all the work. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's about as old school as you yeah, get. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, well, hmm. see you later, Don. <laughs> it's like, uh, thank you? Yeah, thank I guess? you. Yeah. <laughs> but he was, he, was like, he was funny. He was joking, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But, you know, that had turned in the 90s where it was yeah. away from the old school you know, the Gary Owens, very pronounced and over-enunciated, which I'm, is great. We I'm all glad love you brought Gary. up Gary Owens because it saves me the, the trouble of having to, because uh, that, to me, he, to me, his voice had that authority, but he was able to use that for comedic effect, oh, sure. yeah. which was like, to me, because uh, going back to those computer games, there was a series called Space Quest, and he, he was the narrator for Space Quest uh-huh. 4 and 6, and they were basically comedic games and as the narrator he was basically just making fun of you the whole time yeah and it was great and i was young enough that that idea of like wait a minute this voice that sounds official <laughs> is saying really unofficial sounding things right yeah and it just like i was like it was the first time i had heard anything like that yeah and it was amazing yeah and, he was he was a master yeah and and he, i believe he just passed away and it uh, it bummed me out yeah um because that was uh i was at that his was memori- very formative i was at his memorial service and mm. they showed a lot of his on-camera stuff and the things that he had done through his career and i'm like yeah gary what what is it what a talented guy what a great guy again from south dakota and we had very parallel existences growing up. Hmm. Um, but when they showed his cartoon work, Roger Ramjet, Space yeah. Ghost, Potter Toast Man, uh, Space Ghost and Roger Ramjet were everything I was about when I was a kid. Then I got sad. Then oh, it yeah. touched me, you know. Yeah. it's Because that's what I, I grew up listening to him, you know, that vo- yeah. voice coming out of Space Ghost, you know. So it's... It's a, it's a strange thing because I'm now... You know, I don't. I, I'm I'm 33 now. I'm old enough that a lot of the people that I that made me fall in love with film are they're getting older now. Yeah. And while you know, I mean, Steven Spielberg and and Scorsese and you know, uh, you know, Dustin Hoffman and stuff like they probably have a solid 10 years, 10 to 15 years left in them, um, and. But there is the realization of like, you know, Nicholson hasn't worked in a while. Gene Hackman hasn't worked in, you know, f- 11 years. Connor is retired. Yeah. And my yeah. favorite actor, Robert Duvall, he's going strong, but he's well into his 80s now. Yeah. And just, um, and then, but then you also get stuff like, you know, Robin Williams, which is, it was hardly natural causes, but it's just like so much of what I think of as movies and as comedy is related to very specific people yeah. more so maybe even than the movies themselves. And when those people go away, you know, actually I had such an emotional reaction to the loss of Roger Ebert mm. um, that because like, when I saw the documentary uh, life itself at the end of it, I b- cried 
so hard it was almost comical uh because it was like you know gene siskel died and then if i'm being honest uh my father passed away and then roger ebert died and i would watch siskel and ebert with my dad when i was a kid yeah and between those three guys two of which i didn't actually know um that helped shape my opinion of film sure. and now they're all gone yeah and just like and you suddenly feel very i suddenly felt very alone and it's like i guess i'm just on my own now well no it's god's way of saying it's your turn now you do it yeah yeah which is kind of terrifying yeah well, you know? it's uh it's the way it's a cycle of life and it's yeah. the way things are designed and as sad as we are about the people that we love uh my friend yvonne craig just passed away mm -hmm. about a week ago she was bad girl and she she yeah. had been I, I used to tell her yvonne you're one of the few actresses who has been on all of my favorite shows and has mm -hmm. met all of my favorite guys back in the day when they were you know yeah. wild wild west james west she worked with him starsky and hud she worked with batman she worked yeah. with all these guys you know, on these shows, I'm like, wow, you've you've been there with them all, yeah. you know. A friend of mine is Barry Denon, who was most well-known as pilot in the Jesus Christ Superstar oh, okay. film. Yeah. But he, he had been a character, he's been a character actor for many, many years. And he is one of the, I think, only guys that has worked with and seen in costume, which is huge to me, uh, Adam West as Batman, hmm. Christopher Reeve as Superman, and Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. He was hmm. on all those shows oh, wow. and had seen them all in their costumes. I said, Barry, I want to download your brain and I want to see what you <laughs> saw because it'd be, I mean, he's one of the few guys I can't think of anybody else who is, yeah. you know, he's like Yvonne Craig on the female side, but also, you know, Barry on the male side of being able to, you know, be in all of those properties and just have all these great recollections of that because that's in pop culture world that's amazing there's a guy who is well he might even be a hundred at this point i don't remember he's he's an old guy his name's norman lloyd and he's you know he's been around theater in hollywood for many decades at this point and uh speaking of the idea of downloading somebody's brain like he worked with orson wells in the theater wow like he was in uh, uh macbeth and that sort of thing and so it's just to to like experience not merely like of course citizen Kane would be amazing but orson wells when he was like 23 yeah and like coming up and he's not like he's he's making a name for himself but he's not there yet like how yeah. amazing would it be to see that as it's happening right um that's the thing that i often you know the the movie lover in me sometimes uh, i lament the idea of like oh all the great things in movies are done like we're not yeah. witnessing anything but that's not true at all you know when you think of Honestly, what Marvel is doing right now, that's never been done before. Right. And it's kind of neat to have been there at the outset and just be one of those people who you sat through Iron Man and, and at the very end, what? What is what is Samuel Jackson doing here? Avengers Initiative, what is going on here? Yeah. I thought it was just an Iron Man movie. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> it's just like to so i guess there's always history being made uh the question is you know yeah <laughs> the history well, that i'm in the midst of is uh the championing of the franchise which is eh, a but, little rough but the history that we're in the middle of right now we're like meh whatever it's okay yeah. but wow back in the 60s everything was sure but but we ha we don't realize that people in the 60s said the same thing that we're saying today yeah. Yeah, there's some good TV shows on, but eh, whatever. Yeah. It's not like the old days when they discovered the film camera, you know? So the history yeah. that you're living never seems as important as it yeah. does to other people in future generations. So yeah. it's kind of odd. I try to I try to not be all wrapped up in 
history of the past mm-hmm. and try to live the history of the present that's being made right yeah. now and try and stay in touch with, well, this is really happening and this is really great. Uh, this, the pickings are slim because you've got to wade through all this Kardashian nonsense and yeah. all this other crazy stuff, which will not end up being very historic. But And some of the music that's coming out today is just really tremendously awful. I, I, where I wouldn't know. In 25 honestly. years, you won't be humming any of the stuff from today. Yeah. Uh, will you be really humming Shut Up and Dance with me in 25 years from now? I Who couldn't knows? hum it now. Yeah, exactly. I have no idea. But, uh, you know, still those songs from the 60s and the R&B and the Motown stuff yeah. that will live forever. And the thing that I need to tell myself is that, you know, the movies from the, the 50s and the 60s and in many cases the 40s that like we love, well, we... Uh, the ones that are good are the ones we watch. Right. There are plenty of Bad terrible ones. movies. Yeah. And the reason we don't know about them is because nobody cares about them and, and they're, they're not good. They were, yeah. And in the same way, like there are movies that are great right now that people will be hopefully talking about in 20, 30 years and they won't remember the bad stuff. Hopefully. Right. Of course, we also do live in the age of like the height of the internet, uh, where, I don't know if it's possible for society to forget anything now um, because there's always going to be at least three websites devoted to that thing, no matter how bad it is. Yeah. I tell people all the time, be careful what you do, but careful what you say. And it lives forever now. Yeah. It lives forever. I have been uh, podcasting for eight years. I have not always been super careful with what I say and it has come back and it is very unpleasant when that happens. Um, But, uh, so we, uh, we do need to, to move on and look sort of towards wrapping up. We've got, we've got uh, some time left. But um, so I wanted to, to ask about, you know, you, so you are a Christian. You said God earlier. That's a step in the right direction. Sure, yeah. Um, <laughs> so what, uh, you know, maybe take, take us through that a little bit. Like, were you raised in the church? Is it something you came to later? What was, what was your, oh, I can't believe I'm about to use the word faith journey, but uh, I just did. Well, it was, uh, I've always uh, gone to church, mm-hmm. uh, raised Methodist, uh, went to Sunday school and did all that kind of stuff. It didn't really, I was just there. Mm-hmm. I learned the fundamentals, but uh, it didn't really register with me kind of emotionally mm-hmm. uh, until I was into my teens. Uh, I loved going to Sunday school and I loved, you know, my my youth pastor, Jerry Wickery, may he rest in peace. He was a great guy. Um, he used to come in and do these half hour radio shows at the station I was at. Mm. And he wasn't really that adept with using the equipment, so he asked me if I would stay after we signed off, and I would engineer his show for him. And that oh, okay. was some of my proudest stuff. I was like, wow, I get to engineer Pastor Jerry Wickery's hmm. show uh, at the radio station. This is really, this is important. This is great to me. So I'd queue up all of his records while he was doing his news report and his commentary, and then I'd play the songs, and it was, it was really great. Um, but it wasn't until I became... I think I was about 16 or 17 when I saw the movie The Robe on TV. I was actually hmm. working at the station and it just it hit me just right there. I was like, "Wow, now I really get it." Yeah. I'd always heard about this Jesus guy, I'd always heard about God and I kind of, you know, lived that, but um, you know, we studied the Bible in in church and 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 Sunday school, but I really really get who this guy was now and then I started my journey yeah. as I went through my you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, and I was even convinced when I was 20 that I wanted to possibly go into the ministry hmm. or, or be an actor. <laughs> that was, it was like down to those two. And I was like, well... They draw on similar things sometimes. Yeah, it's sometimes there's a little crossover there. Yeah. And I thought, well, 
I like women a lot. <laughs> That's going to be a problem in the ministry. So uh, I'd have a much better chance uh, in, as an actor. So, um, yeah, I think maybe I'll do that. And just maybe if I'm called to, because we're all called to serve in different ways. Not right. all of us need to be ministers. Right. But we are, you know, of official license-holding pastors. But we all are ministers in a way, you know. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, what put, like, what put you over? A movie. Yeah. You know, and one that, to my knowledge, I mean, certainly biblical epics were more commonplace at the time, but it was not made with the intention of converting people. Not it at was all. just, yeah. hey, here's the life of Christ. There was just a thing where the guys were tearing his robe up. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice is cracking again. Uh, where they were tearing his robe up and casting lots, and I, I just got mad and said, leave him alone. <laughs> yeah. You know? As a kid, yeah. just watching this and having that visceral reaction to something that was being performed by actors. And thinking, okay, well, this is ministering, and I didn't really think about it that deeply at the time until, re in retrospect, I'm thinking, oh, that's kind of neat how that works out. Yeah, because you just never really know. But I like to live uh, more by example now, as opposed to talking, 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 yeah. and and throwing it at people. I just like to live my mm -hmm. life and be good to people and do things, and then yeah. maybe people will. Because I've been asked before, it's like you're really happy all the time and things are going well for you. How, no. What's your, what's your secret? I'm like, well, this is my story. No. So, um, long about 1987, it was a blizzard. <laughs> a blizzard was on the way in South Dakota. I had planned on moving to Los Angeles for about nine months. Finally, I said, today's the day. Yeah. I'm just today's the day. I got to go. I got to beat this blizzard because I can't take this anymore. Yeah. And I gassed up a, uh, 1979, Ford Fairmont station wagon that had 110,000 miles on it that was rickety as all get out and kissed my folks goodbye and said, see ya. And drove to, uh, my first stop was Kansas City where I stayed with a friend the first night and the car got down the road. Uh, it was an absolute faith, leap of faith. Mm -hmm. The car was not roadworthy. Okay. It had gotten down the highway and was first couple hours were great. And all of a sudden, I heard the did -did 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 -did, the knocking under the hood, and I didn't know enough about it. Yeah. And like uh, a mirage in an oasis in the desert, I see this service station. So I pull in, and I said, I've got some knocking going on under here. And the guy says, you're completely out of oil. You were yeah, about boy. ready to blow a rod, and once you do that, you're you're done. Yeah. Um, but he says, no, I'll put some oil in it. You should be okay, but you got to put oil in it every day because this burns oil like crazy. Huh. That was God. Yeah, that was God pulling me over to that thing, saying, "No, no, you got to keep your journey going, and here's how you do it." But hmm. so I'd have to buy a couple quarts of oil every day, and put it in the thing. every day, and off I go every day. It was burning oil like crazy. <laughs> it was like crazy. Now I'm no mechanic. I went to I I, I was lonely a lowly film film student, but even right. I know yeah. that if something's burning oil every day, yeah. it's uh, might be time to get a new car. But uh, usually, if if that's the case, well, that one happen. cannot afford one. Yeah, that didn't happen for a couple of years. But that station wagon. I could load all my stuff in. Of course, yeah. I didn't have that much stuff at the time. And I came out here and stayed with a friend for a while. We split rent, and I ended up getting... I came out in January, but by February, I had not one, not two, but three jobs. So I was working constantly, like, like yeah. 14 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, sleeping a little bit, and then going out and, and finally uh, whittling it down to... But I had a plan. Mm -hmm. I had a, a yellow legal pad that I took with me. Is like, I'm going to do this first. I'm going to do that second. I'm going to do this third, fourth, fifth, sixth. And the first one was just, uh, you know, find just a regular job just to yeah. get some money coming in. 
The second one was figure out a way to get into radio so I could join the union. Yeah. And then once I joined the union, after I could join Screen Actors Guild, and then it was all step-by-step process. So there's a lot of forethought and planning that went into it. My dad always used to say, you got you to plan your work and work your plan, and that's kind of kind of what I did. But it's uh, like I said, it was all... It's all a leap of faith. It's like I got to do this because I feel driven to do this. Yeah. What what God desires, He inspires, and He will inspire in you to to do certain things. So you just have to be open to it and listen to it and, and go with it and not be afraid. Can you point to any? And I, I think actually you already have in talking about like uh, happening to talk to this person at just the right time. You know, they could. You know, they were retiring very soon, but you got in just under the wire. Like, are there any any other instances in your life that you can like point to and say like, yeah, that. Statistically, that shouldn't have happened, but it did, oh, yeah. and uh, and you can sort of point to God and say that's probably the reason. Yeah, there are no coincidences. Yeah, that's I don't kind of I don't idea. believe in them. Uh, it's all the design and answer to prayer, and it just uh, there's so many instances of that that I can't even recount any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not even surprised by it anymore. I'm just simply not surprised. Yeah. Other people go, wow, that's pretty, and I'm like, man, eh, not surprised. Yeah. That's because that's the way it happens. Um, anything from you know getting the job of the Tonight Show to yeah. getting any any sort of opportunity that that happens, uh, it's all part of the deal. Yeah, and it just so happened that you know, I was a radio DJ in South Dakota. We had a show called the Doctor Demento Show. He took uh, tapes from people who did parody songs. I made some parody songs. After about the ninth parody song he played, we started corresponding, and he said, "Come out to L.A. and I, and I want to meet you." And I came out to L.A. on a vacation, met him. Met Weird Al, did some other stuff. And hmm. so I had some contacts out here. So it was just all, it all worked. It all came together. And uh, that's the way it works. You know, I, I'm reminded of, uh, to use an, uh, an allegory here, um, or analogy is what I should have said, sorry. Um, you know, when you're learning uh, screenwriting, one of the things they talk about is you need to make sure that as mu- that everything comes from characters making choices. You can be allowed like two moments of convenience because people experience that. Yeah. If you have three or four or five like co- like happy coincidences, unless that winds up being a theme of the film, yeah. which is sometimes the case, unless that's the case. Then you got Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and they say like that's sloppy writing because people will then see the hand of the writer. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and if you want to look at it a certain way, it's like. Because yeah, I can I can point to very specific things in my life. It's like, boy, that sure worked out well. Yeah, and not because I did anything. It just yeah. kind of worked. Like, and you know, I feel like maybe two or three times in the course of your life, sure, you could put that down to luck or just happenstance. But like, yeah. when it happens a bunch of times, and of course, people would say, "Oh, you're just reading into things." Like, but how much? Yeah, you know, and. I recognize that not everybody is as fortunate as, as I have been, you know, and that doesn't, uh, so I don't want to say that it's necessarily proof for God, but I will say that like, if you, if you find that certain things are, are working out, even if it's just an opportunity for a job, um, you know, the, the word I use, I don't know much about statistics, but I like to use the word cause it sounds smart. Like, Look at the statistical probability of that happening the way it did. Well, look at the statistical probability of creation. Well, yeah. I mean, people are like, oh, it was a total accident. Really? This is a total accident? Really? Really? Well, at the very least, like when people, and we're getting, for me, we're getting into the cosmological argument. We're getting into science. Once again, 
I have a film degree. It doesn't go that far. But, um, but I will say that one thing that for me is the, the, like the concept of evolution. Every time I've talked with somebody about it, somebody who does, who does not believe in God, they, t- the way they use evolution, they're talking about it. Like it is a thing with a will. Yeah. It is a thing that is purposely trying to do something <clears throat> with an end game in mind. Yeah. And I'm just like, you do realize that you could take the word evolution out of what you're saying, put God in and it re you're really not missing a beat yeah. here. Uh, it's just something that I, I feel like people need a narrative and they might use different words, but I think whether they realize it or not, they are telling a story. This is the one that nobody can ever answer. It's like, well, if man evolved from apes and monkeys, why are, why do we still have apes and monkeys? Well, we're in a transitional period. That's the way I, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, it's... Well, I, how did that happen to where they all, some evolved and some didn't and some, you know, it's very That's, that's an old, yeah. uh, it's an old Stephen Wright bit, I believe. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I remember hearing that and just being like, it's a good point, Stephen Wright. People yeah. are laughing. Yeah. It's not a bad point though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, uh, well, I was, I was like to say, well, you may have evolved from a monkey, but I was created. <laughs> sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, um, okay. Yeah. We should start wrapping up, but, um, Oh wow. It seems like we just got started. Hey, that's podcasting. Hey. Um, that's why I love it. Yep. Um, so a, a few quick things. Um, Number one, and I, I should have asked this earlier, but it did, it, I, I, I forgot to, and we got wrapped up in the God stuff. That's probably a little reductive <laughs> to call right, it God right. stuff. Yeah. But um, That crazy God stuff. Oh, you know how it works. Yep. Um, so as you're, as you're acting, when you're crafting a character, and this is something that you mentioned in the Comic-Con panel that I found very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're crafting a character, and this is something I hear a lot with more with voice actors than with, as we all know, real actors, the right, ones right. that do the real hard. Yeah. Work, the real you know? actors. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the, uh, something that you hear a lot about is, is sampling from other, they could be public figures. They could be well-known characters that we all know about and just kind of blending like three or four different characters to create this new thing. Sure. And, like, how do you even begin to to do that? Because you mentioned it, like you mentioned that that's how you arrived at the Riddler. Is there are these two characters? There was a character, and then someone from your own life, and you thought, if I blend these together, that will be the perfect combination. Like, right, right. How do you? Is that something you have to learn, or do you feel like it's almost an instinctive thing? It's stuff when you read the copy that you hear in your head. Okay, you hear the voices in your head from recollections that you have from different experiences you've had, movies you've seen, people you've mm-hmm. known. Uh, and you're like, boy, I really hear Jan Swank saying this stuff. And Jan Swank was this community playhouse director in South Dakota that I worked with. And I just heard him reading these Riddler lines. Yeah. And I thought, boy, his voice would be really good at it. And then just the content of the copy about the stuff that he was talking about. I'm like, boy, uh, Michael Dunn would sound really good reading this as well from Wild Wild West. And if mm-hmm. I just kind of combine the whole thing, if Jan Swank was uh, a little more lilty in his delivery... Yeah. So I thought, well, let me try that. So uh, that seemed to work pretty well. But yeah, it's it's a hybridization of yeah. of a lot of different things. Sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes people will use like Beetle accents with different things and just hmm. hybrid a bunch of stuff. Or in the case of Maurice, you know, we talked about him earlier, just plain doing Orson Welles. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It's like I don't need to blend this with anything right. else. I know what I need yeah. to do. I mean, Dawes Butler, one of the greatest voice actors ever in animation basically used a lot of 
uh, impressions mm-hmm. of, of famous actors for his characters. Yogi Bear was Ed Norton from The Honeymooners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, Wally Gator was Ed Wynn. Yeah. Uh, a lot of his, Bill Hanna was the inspiration for Huckleberry Hound. Hmm. So it was a lot of uh, him using different people and impressions that he could do for these characters, and they became, you know, uh, legendary. Yeah, I guess, yeah, that's, it's hardly a new thing. Like, when you look at any of those, like, Warner Brothers characters, you know, uh, like Foghorn Leghorn, who was that, was it Senator Claghorn? Like, it was based on, like, a politician. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, and then I feel like a lot of people my, uh, my age... You know, if you know who Peter Laurie is at all, yeah, you know him first as a character, a a a certain type that would show up in old Warner Brothers cartoons, sure, with really yeah. buggy eyes right. and stuff. Um, or, or if you say Booberry, remember Booberry? Then they go, I do. Yes. Oh, Booberry. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that was Peter Laurie. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's. Uh, I keep bringing up these old uh, video games. Uh, there was a once again from Sierra. There was a game called Quest for Glory, and in it. There's a character that when I first played it, I had no idea that there was this was a I, I think it was Jim Cummings actually who did the voice, and it was uh, basically just uh, Boris Karloff, like 100 oh, yeah. percent Boris Karloff, sure. not adding anything to it. That's right, all it right, was. Yeah. And then there's another guy who was doing Peter Laurie, and as a kid, I had no idea that that's what these were. Yeah. And as a as a grown up, I realized like, oh, good for them. Yeah. That's great. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so and that's um, the sad thing about today is there's really no actors who who are you going to be imitating in 25 years? Matthew McConaughey, all right, all right, all right. Is that what you're going to? But who imitate George Clooney for me? Imitate Brad Pitt. Imitate Tom Cruise for me. You can't. There's nothing to them. They're not John Wayne. They're not Jimmy Stewart. They're not guys. They're not. Nicholson. That's true. Yes, they're not Nicholson that you can lock into and go. Yeah. Okay, here's his real specific. Yeah. You know. There, there are certain, uh, a friend of mine back in college, he and I uh, worked out that there's a George Clooney cadence that actually over the years he's kind of gotten rid of oh. as he's become a better actor. Mm. Um, but in his TV days, like he would have a very specific line delivery. Like he would, there would be a pause before like the last, right. the last word. And it was very specific. It was very strange. But, um, but yeah, it's. But everybody it's, can do uh, William Shatner because the <laughs> cadence that he had was amazing. And Adam West, same thing. He would talk when he felt like it and have those long dramatic pauses. But you can imitate Adam. You can imitate Shatner because they're yeah. they're legends. But today, it's like, who are people going to be? Im- I feel so sorry for impressionists today in Vegas. It's like, yeah, if you have an audience of 30, 40 somethings, they're not really going to know who Jimmy Stewart is. They're not really know who John Wayne is so much. Yeah. Anymore. And you are doing all these characters and like, well, I think I kind of know who Richard Nixon is, but I'm not really sure because they've been dead so long now. And what's odd about movie and TV culture right now is that if there is an actor who has a very specific cadence, a very specific on-screen persona, chance, like they will often be tapped to employ that comedically, like a Christopher Walken, like a Jeff Goldblum, to the point where it's like, well, now doing an it's impression of them, yeah, doing an impression of them is not funny because they're already doing are, a better yeah, job than yeah. ever, than I it's ever self-parody. could. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's 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 very fascinating, and you know, it's it, it speaks to a very different kind of of acting, like what used to be uh, considered good, which I still consider good. You yeah. know, just because you know, just because Humphrey Bogart had a very specific way of talking that you didn't hear every day, right. doesn't mean he wasn't doing wonderful work in sure. movies like uh, in a lonely place and and Kane mutiny and stuff right right um 
but yeah, these days, uh, there's such an emphasis on, on at least the appearance of realism Yeah, that, you know, in, in the, you know, in the same way, like the announcer voice, we don't want an announcer. We want it to be just believable. Like a guy that yep. you could, you believe you could see walking down the street. And that sure. tends to be uh, how things work unless it's a superhero movie, unless yeah. it's a, you know, something like that. I, I feel like maybe somebody like a Robert Downey Jr. is someone that if you could do an impression of, because he has a very specific persona yeah. and maybe someone like him, but like I'm hard pressed to think of any others. But his is a lot of attitude. Yeah. 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 Cause a lot of people will, a lot of copy will come down and say, yeah, kind of like a Robert Dunny Jr. Not a voice match, but they match an attitude. Yeah. Yeah. They like that kind of cocky. Like, yeah, I could be here or not be here and I don't really care. You know, that kind of <laughs> yeah. Thing, yeah. Yeah. After a while, like, uh, I remember in, in like 2009, like when he'd just, he'd gotten his, his nomination for Tropic Thunder the same year as Iron Man. And like, he was back yeah. and in 2009, 2010, like he was at the Oscars and he was doing his, his Robert Downey Jr. thing. And after a while, it's just like, you know, when you're playing a character, it's much more endearing as it is right now. Aren't you just happy to be here? Like you were a persona non grata for uh, like a decade. Yeah. Aren't you just happy to be here yeah. again? Uh, and then thankfully, like in interviews, he actually is uh, a lot more humble and a lot more vulnerable, yeah, yeah. but he having has a, he has a public did, persona. Having kids did that for him. I think I guess so. When he yeah. started having kids. He became yeah. a different guy because he came on the tonight show and he was just the nicest guy and <laughs> you know, too tired talking about his kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he just, that changes you when you yeah. have all of a sudden it's not about you anymore. Yeah. It's about these little creatures that you bring into the over the world um you know it's it's a whole different thing so that's where i had him sign my iron man bus by the way oh nice yeah so yeah it's um it's it's an interesting um business and you have a lot of people who don't really understand that whole thing and that you know a lot of people talk about the the fairy godfather in the sky the the ghost man in the sky that yeah. everybody prays to I just I just laugh and I'm I'm like well I feel sorry for them that they haven't had the experiences I've had with that it hasn't become yeah. real to them yet yeah it may never who knows yeah. but I I just feel so blessed that I've had that ability to be able to have those moments and it is real to me and um, people it's I equated to people who are like oh those stupid cars who'd want to drive a stupid car yeah. so I can tell you've actually driven a car and you've seen how great it is and how. Yeah. It, it advantages it can be to your life. <clears throat> you just look at those people and go, oh, I can't believe some people still don't drive. They're so missing out. They haven't had that experience. And yeah, you can demean cars and you can hate cars and hate me for driving a car. But you know what? Until you've had that experience, I feel so sorry for you. Yeah. I, the, what I most equate it to for myself is, is marriage um, because, it, you know, there's the relational aspect of it, but just this concept of like, like, for me, being married has helped me understand aspects of God, um, because you realize just how self, how selfish you are capable of being, but also the fact that there is somebody who chooses to be with you and right. love you, knowing, you know, my wife knows about as much about me as anybody can, probably even better than I know myself in some instances, um, and the fact that she knows all of that and continues to be married to me right. is to me astounding. Yeah. <laughs> I just, because for years, you know, I would tell myself, yes, these people are my friends, but if they really knew yeah. who I was, yeah. surely they wouldn't be with me. Uh, but my wife has been, and it at least, it at least gives me a physical thing, uh, a physical model yeah. of, of God's love for us. Sure. And, and which of course to go back to go into the Bible, there's a reason that it constantly uses marriage as 
as an analogy for right. for God's love for us. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's a tangible <clears throat> thing that we can point to and we can understand. Yeah, it's <clears throat> excuse me. It's um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I've I've seen bachelorhood because mm-hmm. I was married for a period of time in in the eighties and I tried it and and had kids and everything and it's it's terrific. But uh, I found myself much more effective by not being married. Which is a standard Paul thing. Yeah. You know, that uh, that idea of... Uh, Sometimes it's better for a man to yeah. not be married. Yeah. Like I, w- I think he says something like, like, I wish everybody could be as I am and just be like unencumbered and free to go and do these other things. Yeah. You know, um, and... There, and certainly there are times when I'm, I, there's something I really want to do and, and even something I feel like I need to do, but it would run counter to my marriage. And yep. so it's like, I, that's not on the ta- That's not an option. Yeah. But you know, and that, and that goes to this idea of like, I feel like in the church we need to wrap up and I'm heading down a path that could take us oh, okay. several more minutes, <laughs> but, but we can wrap up. Um, cause I don't want to destroy your voice. Um, Oh, it's way beyond that. It's, okay. Oh, yeah. good. All right. Well, the damage the damage has the damage been done. has been done. It was uh, all those crimson dynamo yelling and screaming <laughs> that happened earlier. But the, uh, you know, one of the things that that the church emphasizes marriage so much, and I understand why, because uh, culture is some has been sort of diminishing the idea of marriage. So the church tr- sort of champions that, but in doing so, I feel like they tend to leave like single people behind and say like, oh, I'm sorry, God. Yeah, I guess God can use you, but I I have no idea. Yeah, you know. Well, then I, they're going to the wrong church if that's the attitude they're getting. Yeah, and and that's yeah, and that's the thing is like I don't I don't know if the church even realizes it's doing it. Yeah. Um, and it's it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from The Simpsons where uh, Milhouse's parents have gotten divorced, and his and uh, his dad works at the cracker factory, and and after he gets divorced, his boss is like. Kirk, I got to say, this is a family company. He's like, maybe, uh, maybe single people eat crackers. Maybe they they don't. We don't know. Frankly, we don't want to know. It's a market we can live without. And just so like they basically say like, we we have no use for single people. We don't know how to market to them. So just get them out of here. And I feel like that's, I feel like that's a, a, an aspect that is a, a thing that the, the church specifically the American church has been in an attempt to battle sort of anti-marriage ideas in the culture, they've gone maybe too far yeah. in the other direction. And it goes to that idea of what you were talking about in, in regards to like profession or vocation that yes, you can be called to the ministry, but that, do, but if you're not, that doesn't mean you're not ministering. You're any less effective. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it's the same thing. Like just cause you're married, like it's just a different, it's just a different path for you. Yep. You know, anybody yep. in any circumstance can be, uh, can be effective. Yeah. But, um, so I think we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, I will say just a, a thing that I, that I ask, uh, guests, um, is there any advice? I'm, I'm sure you have a ton of, a ton of advice, but uh, advice, but, um, is there any advice that you can give to Christians or non-Christians, uh, who are looking to get into the, into, uh, show business in general and let's say voice acting in particular? Uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> I've always chosen not to do uh, things that I think uh, conflict with my faith. Okay. Uh, just because I've, I figure, well, I don't need it. Okay. You know, if it's that, I just I don't need it. I'll survive without it. Uh, so I don't do any alcohol endorsements for any beer mm. ads or anything. I don't do any gambling or casino. Interesting. Uh, I don't do any of that stuff. I don't do any um, film work that involves profanity. Okay. Because as we mentioned before, that lives forever. Yeah. And uh, it's a little weird to me to think that on one 
hand, I can be the voice of PAX TV talking about all these nice family-friendly shows and the voice yeah. of John Arbuckle and the Garfield show and the voice of The Tonight Show. But then you can tune in this movie and hear that same guy saying the most foul, <laughs> horrible things. And I'm like, yeah, probably don't want to do that. Yeah, that's actually been a, a situation for me because on my other podcast, more than uh, on my other podcast, Battleship Pretension, I do swear. And there are times when, you know, people who might find me through this show they'll listen to that and they hear me talk about my other one and they're like, Oh, maybe I'll listen to that. And I, it puts me in the position of having to say, well, okay, you're going to hear some stuff. Like I have to preface things, yeah, yeah. you know? And if I, you know, while I don't have that much of a problem with profanity, I feel like it puts it, then I've put myself in a position yeah. of having to explain something where I wouldn't necessarily have to. Right. Otherwise. Yeah. Privately, uh, I'll let him fly every once in a while, sure. and probably way more than I should, but you know, publicly in any sort of form like this, it's going to live forever or somehow inspire someone else who might be listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I want to kind of stay clear of that and, and yeah. just maintain a modicum of, of, uh, dignity and, and the whole thing. But yeah. uh, just stay true to the faith. Don't ever compromise it. Uh, it's going to all work out. Um, listen, learn uh, all you can. Learn every day and mm -hmm. uh, keep the faith, basically, to, okay. to sound, you know, uh, trite. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's really what it is, is just if you feel driven to this kind of business, which you have to absolutely be, you can't be casually interested in it. You have to absolutely be driven by this. Yeah. Uh, if you feel that God has driven you into this, is, um, this uh, profession, uh, we certainly could use a lot more uh, decent, uh, you know, uh, whole wholesome people to be in the business. And you see that in voiceover, in particular, there's a lot of people who are uh, uh, along the on the on the faith walk. I have noticed that, yes, <clears throat> more so than other aspects of stuff. And people in voiceover are much more considerate and kind to their fellow actors. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll go into an audition; it's not uncommon to go, "Yeah, this isn't really me, but hey, you know what? I know a guy who could totally nail this. Yeah, you should totally call him." So, <laughs> whatever. Uh, you wouldn't find that in on camera, I don't think, at least in my experience, where people go in, it's it's very competitive, and it's yeah. very, very backbitey. Hmm. So, anyway. That is true. Advice. I have heard that. So, voiceover's great. It's it's kind of a great... I mean, and you're doing you know, cartoons, the little kids will find funny, and sometimes yeah. parents occasionally. And Yeah, even, even the Family Guy stuff, after a while, got to be to the point where it was so kind of vulgar just for the sake of vulgarity. Yeah. You know, I told my agent, I'm like, well, if you could tell him maybe not to give me that kind of stuff and maybe yeah. some of the other characters don't yeah. have some of that stuff. And then finally they just stopped kind of calling all together and occasionally they would call me in for something. But the show just got to the point of where it was just like South Park, vulgarity for the sake of vulgarity, which I don't even find necessarily funny. No. Occasionally vulgarity will be funny, no. you know, like in Mel Brooks movies and stuff when there's a point to it. I will actually stand by South Park's vulgarity almost 90% of the time oh, like, really? just because I tend to think that it's like there's stuff in there that I'm just like oh geez guys come on but it, it it is almost always like sort of like a like a magic trick where they're distracting you with the vulgarity but they're actually delivering like a really interesting like social satire yeah underneath yeah which I'm okay with but and I don't want to speak ill of family guy because of course you said you're, you're friends with Seth MacFarlane but like you know well, but I that's with Seth. okay you're we don't you're, hang out or anything yeah, okay. with it. You're, uh, he's on his way over. You know, yeah, I better yeah, get yeah. out of here. Um, but uh, but I feel like that's one that, as time went on, it just became like they're just going to do this. There's not a lot of heart behind it, yeah. And there's not a lot of uh, satire behind it. It's just for its own sake. Sure. So still makes me laugh from time to time. Yeah, like you yeah. can't throw that many jokes at the wall and not have some of them stick. Oh sure, yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite 
jokes, uh, and I don't like to necessarily, I've already quoted Simpsons that I don't like to necessarily quote things, but one of my favorite jokes ever. And so I think from one of the early seasons of family guy is when they're on an airplane and Peter bursts into the cockpit and the pilot whirls around and says, Hey, you're not a pilot. I know every pilot in the world. That to me is so hilarious because he says, you're not a pilot. And then they immediately answer a question that nobody would ask, but they should, which is, well, how does he know he's not a pilot? Right, and yeah. then he immediately qualifies. Yeah, I know every pilot know in, the every world, pilot in the world and you're not one of them. <laughs> I think that is yeah. so hilarious. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, uh, have you, have you run across any, um, I won't use words like discrimination or anything like that or oppression or anything like that, but have you run across any, um, either obstacles or just like somebody, uh, somebody making fun of you or, or any kind of derision as a function of, of your faith? Not at all okay. in this industry. No. That's great. In the interest of um, widespread tolerance, uh, that covers all aspects. And it's it's always funny to me what everybody's always calling uh, this group bigots or this group bigots. Well, bigotry yeah. goes both ways. Yeah. And I don't mind throwing the B word at people who are bigotred, bigoted against uh, faith, you know? Yeah, I looked up the word bigotry the other day. It's surprisingly malleable. People yeah. think that it, it's only it only applies to yeah. a certain group. It's like the minute the minute you start grouping people together and ascribing certain aspects to them, you're edging into bigot territory. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm I told my pastor the other day. It's like, well, you know, it's we've got to start standing up and throwing the b word back at them because yeah. why are why are we always the bigots and they're not? Yeah. But you know, there was a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, who's uh, gay. Mm. and said that he would never vote for a Mormon for president because he's Mormon. And I said, well, how would you feel if I said that I would never vote for a guy as president because he's gay? Yeah. You'd call me bigot in every other word. Oh, yeah. In the, in the, and he couldn't, he couldn't answer that. He realized that he was bigoted against yeah. a guy's religion because he didn't want him to be president because of his specific religious beliefs. Yeah. And it goes both ways, and sometimes they don't believe it. But, yeah, it's, it does. It absolutely yeah. does. Yeah. And it's, you know, I've, I've <laughs> encountered, because I'm... Uh, by weird happenstance over the years, I've become friends with a lot of stand-up comedians. Um, and in the stand-up community, as I'm sure you can imagine, like there's a lot of anti-Christian ideas and, and a lot of jokes being put out there. And that's, that doesn't necessarily bother me, but there tends to, but some of them, there's a lot of genuine anger and frustration underneath. But by and large, like, you know, if uh, there's a way to, to disagree with somebody and even say like, you know, let me ask you this. All these things that you're saying about this group, you realize that I'm that I'm part of that group, right? Do you think that about me? And the minute you put a human face, even if it's your own human face yeah. on it, like people will immediately say, oh, wait a second. Right. Well, obviously I'm not talking about you. It's like, okay, well, <clears throat> this group that you're talking about, it's all me. Yeah. Just well, imagine we are they're talking all about me. comedians who have a specific voice that they need to write for yes, for that's entertainment true. purposes. Yeah. And sometimes it may or may not be legitimate. Like that Don is Rickles true. is the greatest insult comic in the world. Yeah. Does he really believe that this race is inferior to another race? No. No. Not really. But it's his character, it's his voice. Yeah. Um And he's like the sweetest guy in, in real life. <laughs> he's a great guy, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so I wouldn't confuse what comedians say or people on television say with necessary actual uh, beliefs yeah. or, or ideals because they're just presenting a voice or a character or, or whatever. But yeah, you know, it's, it's, and I think uh, the Christian belief system is strong enough to withstand any sort of humor or po fun poke, poked at it or cartoons or, or anything or, or quote unquote artwork that 
may seem uh, disrespectful to the Christian belief system. Yeah. And people get all mad about it. And it's like, nah, we're it, it's it's a bigger thing than that. It's lived for two thousand plus years now, and it's yeah. had everything thrown at it that can possibly thrown at it. This thing here, nah. This is just another little yeah. mosquito bite in the big picture. Don't yeah. worry about it. But you know what? What's strange to me is that some other factions and religions get so upset by their religion being questioned or criticized or or parodied that they get all upset and want to kill you over it. It's like, well, is that how weak your belief system and your religion really is, that yeah. you don't think it can withstand this criticism yeah. or a little bit of parody? If it was a much bigger, stronger belief system or religion, it's just going to bounce off it like bullets off a of Superman and you're not yeah. going to have any. But the fact that they're so nervous about it makes me believe that maybe they're religion and belief system is maybe a little bit or maybe a lot flawed. Well, and you hear about the idea of like someone saying, well, if uh, it's like, well, if somebody hears a certain type of joke, cause I, I definitely believe that, that humor and mockery does have tremendous power. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like if some, if you make a joke about Christianity and it makes that person reject Christianity, that person was probably on their way anyway. They were going to reject you it know? anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and not to like, I don't want to speak in generalities. You never know. But I feel like that's probably if one joke that, that some comedian who a moment ago was telling fart jokes, like yeah. if that's going to turn you, it was probably a little shaky in the probably, first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. still mourn it. I still yeah. am sad that that happened. But at the same time, like, you know, it, uh, it, it speaks more maybe to the person. Or it can create um, empathy for it. Absolutely. Where the, guy, where the comedian or somebody pokes fun at it, and maybe the person goes, wow, that was pretty harsh. And then maybe we'll turn them the other way to like, yeah, that's that's a little much. That uh, is maybe a, I should look into this because that, that didn't set with me that That is well a thing right that happened now. to me in my first year of doing this show is I was – listeners know the story already, but like I was uh, – it was nominated for a podcast award in the religion category. And I was nominated alongside an atheist podcast that took it upon in the religion category, of course, uh, who took it upon themselves to review all of their competition, including the other atheist podcasts. And it, uh, oddly enough, they all came up wanting except the show itself. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, then we were nominated. I went back and listened. And I was like, Oh boy, these guys are not happy with me. Apparently. I, and then we were nominated again the next year and then they invited me on the show and after a lot of prayer and deliberation and talking to my wife about it, I actually went on. It's a very pleasant conversation and I actually got a lot of emails from their listeners saying like, Hey, I enjoyed your appearance. And I'm like, to be honest with you, like last year, they were so harsh on you that I found myself feeling like bad for you. And they're like, I never thought I could feel bad for a Christian ever. Right. Right. But I did because they were so tough on you. So well, it is, that's it why is you possible. have to, that's why you have to go to where the sick people are. You yeah. Don't go hang out with the well people. Yeah. You go to the sick people. If you're a doctor, Yeah. you know, doctors hang out with well people all the time. That's pretty boring. <laughs> so you go to where the people who need you are. And yeah. you know, atheism in, is in itself a religious belief. That's their religion, yeah. you know, and uh, pe people don't realize that Christianity is not a religion. Hmm. It's not a religion. It's a belief system. That's why I never say the Christian religion because it's not. If you look at the very, I tend not to use the word religion. I'll usually use the word faith. Yeah, yeah. If you look at actual religions, mm -hmm. uh, Islam, Judaism, uh, some of the other religions that look at the 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 root of the word. Dennis Prager, I, I love him, and he's the one oh, that yeah, actually Prager, brought yeah. this up. He said 
look at the the definition of the word religion. If you say I am a religious jogger, I get up every morning at six fifteen and I jog three miles. I am a religious McDonald's fan. I always yeah. Friday I, every Friday I have a Big Mac. Yeah. My friend uh, James, who works at Warner Brothers, is a religious. Um, prime rib guy at Warner Brothers Commissary. He'll eat salads all week knowing that Friday's prime rib day and he's a reli- he's always there yeah. getting his prime rib on Friday. Yeah. So that's religion yeah. where you are required to do something on a regular basis. Yeah. I think there's probably... It's very ritualistic. A, I think there was a lot of, uh, even the, the words themselves, regular religion, it just seems R-E, there's mm-hmm. a G in there. It just seems to me, I don't know this for a fact, that maybe there's some crossover there in mm-hmm. as words are created throughout history. But... Um, the things that are required of you in Islam and the things that are required of you in Judaism to live a certain life and and pray in a certain direction at a certain time of day and so forth, those are religious practices. Mm-hmm. Christianity is not a religion. Jesus never said it every day at this time you do this, you didn't. Yeah. He said you get baptized. That was a one-time only thing, mm-hmm. maybe twice if you decide you, you were baptized as a baby, but you want to experience it as sure. an adult like I did because you want to actually go into it consciously and experience yeah. it. Uh, and he said at the Last Supper, uh, remember me when you eat. But he didn't say eat every day at this particular time, right. eat this certain food, think of me when you do this, right. or, that, or, that, or whatever. So he just generally said, yeah, think of me when you eat, you know. Yeah. So all the religious artifacts and affectations that go on to these things are sometimes rather man-made um, with different aspects of the Christian belief system that have become a religion yeah. uh, where you have to hold this type of um, uh, piece of jewelry in a certain way and pray this prayer a certain way and pray to this, that becomes then a religion because yeah. they are asking you to do. But but biblically, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't think that's very sound. So the Christian belief system is basically taking what is written down from what Christ had said and believing that in your heart and acting upon it. Yeah. Um, but it's not a religion. And they say, oh, the Christian religion is, oh, he's a religious guy. Well, okay, he's a, he's a religious guy. What does he do every day? You know, what is his what is yeah. his religion? Well, atheists believe uh, that's their that's their belief system. And sometimes they are very religious about sure. that. It's like, well, I'm I'm so um, adamant that there is no God that that in itself becomes a belief system. Mm-hmm. And they're essentially praying to the God of no God. And I always thought it was a funny line. It says, well, are an athe- is an atheist able to sue for acts of God? <laughs> you know, hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, if they don't believe in it, then what? A- so their lack of, their belief that there is no God is in fact uh, just as strong a belief as a, yeah. a belief that there is a God. So there's actually, I had I'd read an article that I believe in London, there is a, uh, an atheist church that was starting up. Yeah. And I was just, and, and you know, it's 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 really just anything where you know people are getting together and affirming that what they believe that, that this thing they all have in common is correct and that sort of thing. It's like, okay, I get it, but you're using the word church now. Yeah, this is like at the very least, this group of atheists can say, yeah, it's like I don't think they can say that it's not a religion. They either get the know? irony and think it's really funny that they're using that, yeah. or they just don't get the irony yeah. of it. And it's like you know, you're calling it a church now, right? Yeah. So, yeah, whatever. It's like, you're kind of trying to piggyback on my legitimacy there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, well, to them, they're legitimate too, though. Yeah. And I was, there was a, a, a date that I was on. It was it was a one-time date of this girl that I'd met online. And uh, we were at 
the restaurant and she had a little symbol on tattooed on her arm. And I said, Oh, what's that? She said, Oh, it's, it's the satanic symbol. Oh. I said, Oh really? Oh, tell me more about that. So, uh, we started really talking about what the satanic, uh, belief system or religion, because I think they do have a lot of religious practices that they engage yeah. in, in their belief system. Uh, and I said, Oh, well tell me about it. Well, we just believe in treating everybody, you know, well, and, and, you know, like we'd want to be treated and, and basically once you removed the labels yeah. of I'm a Christian, you're a Satanist. Ooh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And you just broke it down into, well, what do you believe? Yeah. Um, you realize that there's a lot more common ground once you take the labels away. Yeah. Same thing with my son. He said he was one political structure and I'm a different political mind. Yeah. And he's he's young and I'm I'm older. And I said, well, <clears throat> put all that label aside. What do you really believe? And I was asking him certain questions about, do you believe the government should be involved in this? Or do you believe this p type of person should be paid by the government to do this? Or this, this uh, entitlement should be allowed? And he was basically, once push came to shove, yeah. exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And I said, you're not as much of, a, of that as you think you are. Yeah. Um, but you have the label because you think it's cool. But when yeah. push comes to shove and you really start talking philosophical ideas, no. we're very much very similar. Yeah. When you, like anytime somebody, and this includes Christians, by the way, like anytime you speak generally about a group of people yeah. and, you, and you don't think in terms of nuance... Or think in terms of individuals, like you're heading down a bad path. Oh, sure. Uh, a thing that, I, that I've said a million times on this show is that extremes are easy. It doesn't seem like it. The word extreme sounds hard. But philosophically, if you go to one extreme or another, it's remarkably easy to do because like, okay, well, I definitely know that's the case. Even if it's difficult to implement it's just like, I definitely know this is how it works. Yeah. This is how people in this group are. Absolutely. Yeah. But when you talk to an individual, even if you disagree with them on a regular basis, like you can't demonize them. Yeah. You know, and it's harder. It means walking a bit of a tightrope and kind of straddling a fence. But that's how it is. You know, like Christianity itself is straddling the fence between grace and justice. Right. And either one of them is is philosophically easier to handle. But you have to be you have to, you know, something my pastor always says, you have to kind of live in the tension there and understand that that's what christianity is it's not easy yeah it might make your life easier it, it won't necessarily make it easy but it's you know it's it's a difficult thing but that's in my opinion because it is it is it is difficult and complicated to me that's what makes it true like when somebody starts handing you uh, something and say it's super easy and you it requires nothing of you yeah philosophically or practically that's when it's just like okay well i feel like what's the catch yeah it's like this you know it goes back to that lon cheney thing like if you just drink this you're not going to be uh you know crippled anymore right exactly so um yeah uh so we should wrap up we've gone longer than expected but that's wow, okay. this could be a two-parter uh not for this show oh <laughs> we've gone much longer than this oh, okay. i'm a bit long-winded oh, i apologize okay. that's fine um but yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate yeah, it. This was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, listeners, you can follow me uh, at Twitter, uh, at More Lessons. You can email me, Tyler, at MoreThanOneLesson.com. You can comment on this episode. You just go to MoreThanOneLesson.com and leave a comment in the uh, post. You can like us on Facebook. And I think that is about it. Wally, where can people find you online? Wallyontheweb.com. 
Uh, soon we'll be starting a uh, kind of a little web series called Wacky Wally's Vintage Toys. Be watching out for that. And you can email me at wallywingert at yahoo.com. Oh, wow. Personal email address. Oh, That's yeah, exciting. Sure, yeah. Look at you, man of the people. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, thank you once again for being here. Thanks for having me, Tom. And thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.